Well, it's good to see you all here, and we are in this time of being thankful and grateful hearts and all. You know, when, when my kids were little, and I, I hope, I know Lily's here today, but um, we used to do this game. We would call it a treasure hunt. Have you guys ever done that? If you have little kids, it's a lot of fun. And what we would do is I would, I would make little clues and fold them up in paper, and then I would put them somewhere. So, for instance, one might be like, um, it's really hot, but that's a good thing if mom's making something. So they would have to figure it out. Oh, okay, it was probably the, you know, maybe soap. And then on top of the soap, there'd be another one. And then on that one, I'd try to write some little clever clue, and then they'd have to go find the other one. And they were so excited about it. Sometimes I would draw a map. You know, I'd have the little house and then, then draw a map with little dotted lines, and then have to figure out where to go. And, and they would all do it, and then, and then they would make one for me. And then I would have to go through and find stuff. And at the end of the treasure map, now we call it a treasure, but I don't know if you remember, Lily, any of the treasures. Might be a piece of candy. Might be actually, sometimes it'd be one of their toys. I mean, I, pr- I don't think <laughs> she would know better, but I don't think it was ever like a treasure. I don't think it was ever anything new. It was always, and it was just fun, but that wasn't it. It was the search, right? And then what happened is they'd find the treasure, and as exciting as that moment was, guess what? They'd want another treasure. It wouldn't be over. I mean, that game, that's one of those games which I love to do, but it could go on and on and on and on and on and never end. And that was fun. Now, I don't know if I could get them to do that today <laughs> unless there was actual treasure involved, you know. I mean, you know, the girls, you know, they, back then they were playing with dolls, and now they take care of other people's really living dolls, little babies. And Theo would play with cars, and now he drives cars. And things have changed. What happens is the treasure changes. But what's weird about that is we all do the same thing. And, and just like in that game, the treasure fades. I mean, we, we look for the treasure and we think we're going to find it. And we think it's going to be great. And we work so hard to work the treasure map. And, and we get the treasure maps from all these weird places. Maybe a commercial. You know, if you have that car, it'll be treasure. And then you get a car, and it takes maintenance, and you realize it's not always the treasure you thought it was, right? And it fades a little bit. Then there's something else, or maybe it's that house, or then you have it, and it fades. And maybe it's a certain job. I mean, there's so many things that we look at as treasure. You know, it can be, you know, something we accessorize with, or it could even be a person. Or a look you want to achieve, or... I don't know why I always go to the hair thing. Um, you know, and you think it's going to be great, and it fades. Maybe it's weight loss. If you could just lose this much weight, you would be happy. Right? Didn't every ad tell you that? I mean, if you look at them on TV, and they're dancing around, and they're happy again, and, or it's this drug, or this whatever, or an achievement, or something. And we spend so much time and energy and we pursue it so hard with all of our life. And, and we choose to save or scrimp or we, and we put those treasures above things which really ultimately are the things that matter. And then we want a different treasure, a different thing, and we never get it. And then what we want, we, we want the newer, more, bigger, better, right? Faster, shinier. It's funny because a lot of times those treasures, they just come down to money, Right? Money ends up being the ultimate treasure behind all the treasures. And, you know, money is one of those things that's such a touchy subject. It is. It's one of the leading causes of divorce. I don't know if you're aware of that, but it is. 
um, it's tough because, you know, in church, preachers usually fall into one of two categories. Either they talk about it too much or they don't talk about it at all or talk or when they do talk about it, they make excuses about it. And I, I have to be honest, I'm one of those. And I, I've done a lot of soul searching about that. I think in seven years at the church, I've actually maybe preached three times on money. I mean, directly. I might make indirect comments, but. And I know there's people who come to church and maybe you're here today and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, you're kidding me. They're talking about money. They always talk about money. Or maybe you've been in a church that's misused money and you worry or think or assume everybody does. I, if I could be transparent, I've been offended by preachers who talk about money in manipulative ways or it seems like that's all they talk about. I've even mocked and parodied those people. But I know what's happened is it's, it's left a kind of a scar in my heart because, because they've done that uh, unintentionally and maybe subconsciously, I thought I will never even get close to that so that nobody would ever accuse me of that ever. I've seen the extravagance, you know, the cars, the jewelry, the whatever, the things, you know. Um, I actually, my first ministry position was in a church where the pastor misused money. And I'll never forget the staff meeting after that was all exposed and we're sitting there and somebody had to come in and say to the staff, you may not get paid this week. We don't have any money. And we're all like, what are you talking about? He talked about money all the time. He act, I mean, what, really? It was, it was a hard, hard time. I kind of came of age in ministry when both the Jimmies failed publicly and there was so much extravagance about money. I honestly, I never watched one of those news shows in the evenings, you know, those, you know, like 60 minutes and all those until that happened. And I remember it was a Sunday night. We're on, we're at somebody's house and the TV was on and I thought they're talking about church on TV. I was shocked. Yeah, they were, but it wasn't what you want to see church talked about. It matters, though. Jesus talked about money. I know this is surprising maybe to some of you. Not as much as he talked about love and forgiveness and morality, obviously. But he actually talked about money. If you do the math, he talked about money more than he did heaven and hell. I know that sounds weird, but it's true. It's a practical thing for a church. We're kind of like the government. And before you get freaked out there, here's what I mean. Is the only money we have is what you give. I don't know if you really realize that or not. And maybe you don't realize it about governments, but it's true. They act like it's theirs, but it's not. It's yours, and you give it to them. And that's how it is here. We don't have any money. I mean, we don't actually produce anything. I know we have a coffee shop and we have a preschool, but those are break-even entities. It's, you know, we're not trying to make money on your, on your lattes out there. Everything, now I want you to think about this for a minute. Every single thing, including this microphone, every single thing that you see, hear, touch, experience is completely funded by you. Every single thing, everything as you drive in the lot, the, the parking lot, the quality of the lot, the grass that gets watered, every single thing, every plant, every every paint on the wall, all the paint on the wall, the carpets, the, the couches, the auditorium, the lights, the piano, these trees. You you pay these for these. These are your, you put the money in. The salary, the hiring, you know, the hiring gets, is proposed by me, but then the board who you elect ratifies it. That's how it works. Every single thing we have is because you've given it. That's how it works. That's, that is the whole long short of it. That's exactly how it works. 
The missions, the missionaries that we support are only supported because you give. That's it. It's, it's your money, which we redirect and we pray diligently. We had a board meeting on Thursday. We open every board meeting. God, give us wisdom and how to allocate the finances that you have trusted us with. We, we do not take it lightly. It's a huge, huge obligation. And as we're preparing for the 2019 budget and working that through, the staff and I'll sit down tomorrow and we'll work through that and we will pray over it and think about every single dollar that's spent. It matters. Unlike the government, <laughs> we don't take it from you by force. It's completely voluntary. That's it is. Now, we keep records because we do that for tax purposes and we're required to and we do. There's nothing wrong with that. But we don't judge you by what you give. In fact, I don't even know. I choose not to know. I could know, but I don't want to know because we don't want to do that. We don't want to set anybody ahead because they give or don't or what. I mean, it's voluntary. We want to keep it that way. We want you to give because you want to give. Does that make sense? Remember I told you a few weeks ago, every single Sunday and then Wednesdays, what I do is what you had to do in high school and maybe hated. It's a persuasive speech. Remember that? I want you to do it for the right reason. I can't make you, and I wouldn't make you if I could. Honestly, I wouldn't. And I've known people who are incredibly persuasive. Do you know anybody like that? I mean, they're so charismatic, and they, and they can force people. I've always thought, God, I, if I could, I wouldn't. Because it doesn't. It, the only meaning behind it is if you want to. You need to be convinced. I was talking to you with somebody recently about the fact that there's times where we can as preachers, public speakers, we can use emotion sometimes. And, and emotion is not bad. I mean, we tell emotional stories because it connects with people at the heart level. Nothing wrong with that. But that can get manipulative, you know. And I, I would never, ever want to do that either. I want you to use your heart and mind and make a choice. That's how our God comes to it. If you look at Scripture, that's what he does. He says, come, let us reason together. He wants you to think it through and know about it. Not only that, every single gift matters. Large, it matters. It's about everybody participating. You know what I wish? I wish we all saw it more like an investment. I, I, I have a retirement. I, I, I don't pay attention to it as much as maybe some of you do. I'm not, as, I'm not, I'm not wired that way. I know some people are. I'm not. And, and I'm, I'm concerned about it, but I'm not, I don't think about it that much. You know, and I don't pay attention real close. I mean, I know the ups and downs of the stock market in general, but I don't pay attention to individual stocks and that kind of thing. You know, and, and when people who are into that talk to me, I'm thinking, my goodness, I should think more about that. And I'm interested in it, but not to that degree. But what if we looked at our giving as an investment? That's why we report to you quarterly on what you give. Because we want you to see that the dollars you give pay dividends not only in the here and now, but in the future as well. These are actually investments in eternity. And I, I, I okay, here's the thing. Our goal is to see lives changed. What, what we want to see is those dollars turn into people becoming Christ followers and their lives completely, completely changed. I told you the other day, or months ago maybe, that when people ask me what I do, I, I, I don't always like to lead with preacher or minister or pastor. Because I know that different people have different issues and, and that can literally stop or change the direction of a conversation based on the, the attitudes they have toward preachers. So I, I told you that, right? So sometimes I'll tell them I'm a motivational speaker or I'm a, I'm a you know, a e eternity counselor or some kind of crazy stuff or whatever. 
And when I flew to California last week, I did that with this lady, you know, and, and I already saw what she was reading. I knew she was a Christian. I mean, I, I knew it wasn't like I was just being totally facetious, but she looked at me kind of funny, and I said, I'm a preacher, and she, like, she just started laughing. She goes, oh, that's funny. I get it, you know, and, and um, <laughs> but if people aren't being changed, then we're not using your money correctly. It's not working. You know, we do baptism. Our baptismal's right there if you didn't know. I hope you know, but we probably use it every other month. How cool would it be as if we needed it every week? I mean, seriously, because people's lives are being changed that often. That's what I think God wants to do. That's his heart, is to see lives change. I think it's awesome that how many people are being saved in China every day? Now, of course, that country is the largest country in the world, but I'd love to see 30 or 40 a week. I mean, that would be, again, that would be, we'd be filling up all the churches in town. I'm happy to do that. It would be awesome. I'd like to see us doing more missions trips and support more missionaries. I didn't mention this last week or two weeks ago when we had the missionaries here. We support 102 missionaries and missions organizations. And um, we want to do more. We have people all the time call us and they say, can you help? And we can't right now because we're at our limit. But I want to see more. Why, why is money such a touchy issue? What, <clears throat> why do you think Jesus talked about it so much? You know why? You guys have seen this saying, right? The way to a man's heart is through his what? It's actually not his stomach. That's a misnomer. It's actually through his wallet. That's why Jesus talked about money. It is. Because basically what he said was, I want to get to their heart, but their heart is sometimes so attached to the wallet that it's in between or in the way. Or That's why when the rich young ruler came to him and he had followed all the rules, it wasn't about the rules. He said to the rich young ruler, give everything you have to the poor. And the rich young ruler bowed his head, sorry, and walked away. Because his wallet was in the front of his heart, in the way of his heart. The thing is, we hold on to it like it's more important than relationships and things that really matter. Here's something true, too. People think they're holding on to their money, but in a lot of cases, it's really holding on to them. It's got them, not the other way around. It's no longer a tool that they use. It's something that... They think they own, but it really owns them. Here's another thing. People look to money to do what really only God can do. If you've never been on a missions trip to another country, third world especially, when you go, in fact, this, this would always happen. I take students to Mexico, I can't even count how many times. And nearly every time when kids would come to give testimonies, they would say something like, now understand, these are high school, middle school students. They would say something like, these people have nothing, and they are happy, way happier than me. Now, of course, thankfully, we wouldn't let them say that, or we wouldn't interpret it that way. You know, <laughs> uh, the interpreter would obviously change that, because that just sounds so elitist and arrogant or whatever. But the point is, we think things make us happy, and you can be happy with nothing. The fact is, we, we go to money and think that's what gives us ultimate security, but you know that money can be gone in a heartbeat. I mean, look at Venezuela and what the, all the oil money they had and all of those finances, and it is gone. Think about these horrible fires that just happened in California. And I know, I don't know if any of you have been there, but some of those, especially the Northern California ones, those neighborhoods were incredibly elite neighborhoods. You're talking about millions upon millions of dollars vaporized. And when I was in California last week, some of the local news there were pointing out this, which you don't think about. Most of us would think, well, they have insurance, they'll be fine. Here's what you don't think about. A lot of people are what's called land poor. 
they might have the property, but because of the expense of owning there, some of them didn't have insurance, or at least not to cover. They are desolate, and they have literally nothing. They had minutes to get out. If they got out with their lives, they were lucky. It's gone. Gone, gone, gone. Everything they thought was there for them is gone. The satisfaction, the happy, the safety, the permanence, the contentment. Money does, and it can become some sort of God. It promises way more than it could ever deliver. And what's sad is whatever it promises is just going to be temporary anyway. Have you heard that line, you can't buy happiness? And I, well, before you say amen, which I appreciate the amens, but I've heard people say, well, hold on. Maybe it can't buy happiness, but it can buy things that make me happy. Have you ever heard that? I've got a friend, you know Danny Sparks. He says this. He says, yeah, money can't buy happiness, but it does work like this. I have it. I give it away. I'm happy. <laughs> like, wow, it blows my mind. Like one of those mind-blown things. Wow. Wow. It's just all in how you use it. Now, a lot of what I'm going to be talking about today comes from the treasure principle where Andy, Randy Alcorn, so I'll be quoting him a couple times, but... Let's, let's just think about this. Here's the main scripture verse, and this is all in context. I, I love, I try, I, I, you know, preacher, they'd say to preach, just use one scripture and don't, don't overload you with scripture. I'm, I apologize. I just want you to see a lot of this. I guess I don't apologize. I just want you to see it in, in context, in Matthew 6, and we'll come back to Matthew 6. But he says, don't store up treasures here on earth. This is Jesus talking really to poor people. If we could, I mean, really? You think about the crowds he was talking about. First century. They had nothing compared to what you have. In fact, the, the priests, the upper class would have been maybe on the fringe of the crowd. But he was saying this to everybody. And he said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy. Thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will also be. I want to focus on that verse for a second. Store up yourselves treasures in heaven. Here's what he's trying to say. You can't take it with you, but you can pay it on ahead. You can actually send your treasure on ahead. I know it sounds weird at first, but, but if you sit with me through this, I think you'll get it. The reason he was doing this and what he was trying to communicate to people is, well, think of it in investment terms. He's telling you, switch your investment vehicle. <laughs> Do you get that? Transfer funds from earth where it's temperate and volatile to heaven where it's dependable and permanent. And here's what else he's saying. There's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. There just is. <laughs> oh, here's another thing. Randy says, I'm convinced that the greatest deterrent to giving is this, the illusion that earth is our home. I, I know this is strange to hear, maybe if you're, you, know, you weren't raised in church or not a Christian, but... It's not that Christ cares about, like, if you have things. It's not about having things. It's not about that. Or even nice things. It's not. It's about the treasure. And he wants you to act with your own self-interest. Because some people act like, oh, well, he does promise you things in this. Think about it like this. God entrusts you with money on earth here so that you can invest in eternity and every day is an opportunity to buy up more shares in his kingdom. I know this sounds weird to some people, but look at it like this. God owns everything. I, I'm just his money manager. I mean, really? He, it, we're just stewards of what he's given us. We're investment managers. 
was talking to one of our members today. That's what he does. Is he helps people with investments and how they manage their money. And that's really what we do. It, it, you know what? Uh, motivation to give. It, it, there's so many. And um, the fact is, he does reward us. Let me, let me just show you a couple of those uh, that he talks about. Uh, oh, let me, let me just say this. Some people, maybe some of you are thinking, I'm not sure I'm ready to go to heaven. It doesn't sound really fun to me. And I've, I've talked to people here that say that. And I get it. I get that. I understand that. But, but here's what he's really saying. The act of giving is a vivid reminder that it's all about God, not about us. It's saying, I'm not the point. He's the point. It's about reordering the priorities and what really matters. Look, look at it like this. God, giving doesn't strip me of vested interests. Rather, it shifts my vested interests from earth to heaven, from self to God. Here's the bottom line. <laughs> my heart always goes where I put God's money. See what I did right there? Whose money? I, <laughs> I know we, we always act like it's ours. But really, how tightly can you hold on to something? I mean, what do we really have our own? I mean, it, it could all be gone in a minute. And it's his money, ultimately. And your heart will be where you invest that. Now, some of these things I wrote down, I thought, are you really going to say that? Okay, I'm going to say it. But if you were to show me your, your visa bill or your checkbook, I, it would probably pretty much tell where your heart is. And, and that's not to say what you spend money on is bad. I'm not. I mean, you know, your kid's education, your future, Medical, uh, uh, food, obviously, there's things you need, and that's not it. You, you could look at that whole principle even another way. You're invested in where you put your money. That's where your heart is. Look, look at how Jesus said this. These are some, we're quoting Randy Alcorn, now we're quoting Jesus. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes and no moth destroys. And then in Luke 14, he says, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. He says you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You know, thing is, I want us to see it like this. I want you to see your money tied to lives changed to souls. Souls changed. I want to see it you know, every week in staff, we talk about it. What can we do better to, to let more people know about the truth? How can we do it? Well, how can we do it differently? Can we say it this way? Can we, can we do this? I mean, everything you see, even for Christmas, is designed. It's not just like, like, like Jan said, it's not about fishing in an aquarium. But even what we do for Christmas isn't just for us. It isn't. I mean, we do what we, the Christmas services we'll have starting next week. The, the point of this Christmas service is for you to invite people so they can hear the message. Because a lot of people will go to church for a Christmas service that wouldn't go to a normal service. And it's not just for us. <laughs> I, I think about some of the things that we thought about and thought about and thought about doing. You know, how can we reach our community? This even came up in the Iron Man Bible study last, last Tuesday. One of the guys said, we have a good thing going here. We just need people to know. How can we get more people in here? And I love that discussion. We talked about starting a live stream of our services because people are so visual now. And what they say is the vast majority of people, rather than listening, they'll go to something that they can see instead. It's just, it's just human nature. So how can we do that better? I mean, the reason we did the preschool was to reach our neighborhood because we realized they don't need clothing drives and shoe drives and feeding drives, right? But they might want to bring their kids to a safe, local, really good preschool. So that's what we did. 
Think about this. When you're more interested in what God's doing, you, you, you will be more interested when you have an investment in his work. <clears throat> You've heard those sayings, right? Skin in the game, a dog in the fight, something to lose, a piece of the action, money on the line, you're a stakeholder, you're an owner. It really changes from you being an owner, changes from you being the, just a consumer. You're, you're part of this. You invest in this. You are helping make this thing work. You change from a taker to a giver. And, and a lot of you in here have been helped by the church, which is part of what we do. And then I love when I've talked to people who say something like, I want to give this because I, when I was in need, the church helped me, and now I want to help other people. I don't care who it helps. just want to help them. There's people in this church, every time there's a men's retreat or a kid's retreat or youth, they say, I want to send two kids. I love it. That's awesome. They see it. They get it. They know that that money translates into kids' lives changed if they could go on that trip. You know, the, this is not home. Heaven's our home. And I know this sounds weird, it, it, but the illusion that this is home, I know that's comfortable and familiar, and we get that. And it's hard to even know what heaven will be like. I mean, it's described as amazing, and, and we don't even know what that is. I get that. But this world is really not a safe, homey place, really. I mean, it's a struggle. Every life is a struggle. Every day is a struggle. And so many people are struggling. And you hear about bad things happening. And it's, it's paradoxical, but our home's a place we've never even been. I know it seems weird. It's a place we were made for and meant for and made for us, but we haven't been there. And I get it. It's hard to invest in something we haven't been. But you can invest in lives changed. And I, I, I know I'm not trying to be morbid, but... You know, funerals do remind us of how temporary life is. It just does. I, I don't want to be attached to things. I want to be attached to people. I, I just don't want it to be that way. I don't want it to be all backward like that. I want, let's think about this for a minute. Let's, let's live for the line, not the dot. And here's what I mean. Anybody remember geometry? Anybody love it? <laughs> no, seriously. I know there's got to be a few of us. I, that was, I love that. I didn't really like the rest of the math, you know, analysis and math, you know, algebra two and all that. But geometry I loved. You know why I loved it? That spatial relationship and shapes and things. It's fascinating to me. And the idea of the, in, the infinity of it all. Think, think about this for a minute. The life we live on earth, and if you didn't love geometry, I'll give you a really quick lesson. <laughs> the dot, you know those dots you see? That's it. The dot, it's right there. Boom. But then if you can imagine this, what if you were more about the dash, the line, get this, the line that starts here and goes off into infinity and never stops, ever. You, you are the line. Your life is not a dot. I mean, if you looked at history, our lives would look pretty short. But the truth is, the day you were created, you are a brand new being that exists forever. And you get to choose. Are you just going to live for the temporary time you're here or are you going to live for eternity? Uh, you know, Jan, I've never heard it said that way before, you know, because you think about the heroes of the faith that you can't wait to meet Moses and whoever. And I, I can't wait. I, I look forward to hearing the stories. But how crazy to think they're going to be fascinated by when you lived and the lives you affected and changed. <laughs> I mean, Abram never saw the people of Israel. He never knew. All he knew was one son, Right perspective we all live forever you get to decide how that looks though let me let me just quickly finish this giving is is the only antidote to materialism i i know you know people who are all about things and and um let me just give a little definition here's what i'm talking about materialism materialism uses people to get things but christianity uses things to get people 
It's about people. It's never about the things. You know, people come to this church and they say, what a beautiful place this is. And I can't help but saying, yeah, it is. I do. And then when it comes out of my mouth that way, I, I hope they don't think, yeah, I got a great place here. Because that's not what I mean. It's not mine. It's, it's his. And I'm so grateful to everybody who's come before to the legacy of Pastor Newby and everybody who built. What is this? It's gorgeous. But ultimately, all this is, is a place that we come to meet. It's about the people who come in here. I mean, there's a lot of beautiful places. You ever been to a beautiful cemetery? I know it's weird, but I, I lived most of my life in California. And in L.A., they've got all these, these cemeteries that they give tours and stuff through because they're gorgeous. And I just, you know, I've wandered through one of those once, and I thought, well, this is beautiful. It's creepy, but it's pretty. It's about the people. It should be about the people. It should be about the people. We use things to get people I want to see lost people saved. And if you want that too, and I know you do, then you've got to put your money after that. You want to see people helped? You put your money after that. And then you pray that that money you've invested would follow God's heart because now your heart's attached to all those things that are happening. Well, our, our, God has way higher purpose for our money than just us enjoying life. I mean, enjoying life's great. Believe me, I love life. It basically, though, dethrones you and exalts him. So let's get to the main point. I know some of you are like, okay, bottom line it, how much? How much? I know, I know how it is. And I've heard people say, well, the Old Testament's Old Testament. We live in the New Testament and we're not under the law. And that's true. Jesus, he brought the new covenant. It's new. It's true. That's true. But if you wanted to be Old Testament, let's just be honest about that. You realize, of course, 10% was the bottom. That was the beginning. Most of them gave closer to 35%. So when I hear people say, tithing's Old Testament, I'm like, kind of, part, you're partway there, because they gave for the festivals, they had to give for tons of other things, comes out to about 35%. So let's take a look at New Testament for a minute. <clears throat> and again, I know the rules, you're not supposed to do this much scripture, but I want you to see it in context. I want you to see how it fits. Jesus at one point was talking about the Pharisees, and he was criticizing how tightly they wanted to hold on to the rules. Because for them, it was all about that number, 10%. And he says, you're hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. And what's great is in the original Greek, it goes into detail. Dill and whatever, it lists all the herbs. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, the justice, mercy, and faith. Then he says this, you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Yeah, I, I, tithing for them was just the basic. I mean, that was the, the basis of it all. That was the beginning point. But what Jesus was trying to say, it's not about that. It's about your heart and what you actually give and what you care about. So he starts there. But then that verse where we got our, our theme verse with today from, that was Matthew chapter 6. So I want you to see, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is preaching this classic sermon, the Beatitudes are before this. I mean, he preaches all these really heavy Christian things that we're all very familiar with. But he starts this all in context. I'm wanna, I want to get all the way. Don't, I don't want you to tune out yet. Do you tune out when we read a lot of Bible? Okay, you could be honest. But we're going all the way to chat, verse 33, but not all together. Listen, though. When you give to someone in need, he's talking about money, right? Or maybe more. Remember last week we talked about the, uh, about the, uh, um, the man caught on the road to Damascus, right, and beat up and all that? Or Jericho, I mean, right? 
he gave money, but he also gave time and care, and he loved him and stayed the night. Yeah, okay, but okay, so when you give someone a need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your father who sees you will what? Will reward you. He does say that. Okay, then I'm, uh, fooled you, I wasn't going to do every verse. Okay, so then uh, Matthew six nineteen. don't store up tre- treasures here on earth. This is the one we looked at before. Where moths eat and rust destroy them and where thieves break in and steal, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. This scripture's right in the middle because this, this whole thing, he's talking about that. Then he says, no one can serve two masters. You will, be, you will hate one and you will love the other. You will be devoted to one to despise the other. And I don't know what masters you thought he was talking about. He says, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. I always chuckle when people say, oh, I can't believe preachers talk about money all the time. And I know I haven't, but that's why I tell you, don't worry about your life everyday life whether you have enough food or drink or even clothes to wear isn't life more important than food in your body more than clothing look at the birds they don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them and aren't you more valuable to him than they are can all your worries add a single moment to your life i know there's people in this congregation who need a job i know that i know there's people here who finances are so tight they don't know what they're going to do And you may be thinking, I can't give a dime right now. I understand that. But you need to also understand the same Jesus who preached those other verses said this, that he's going to take care of you. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make clothing, yet yet Solomon, all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown to the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you and take care of your needs. So don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. This verse right here. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. I honestly have never tied it into all those other verses. I knew where it was in the Bible. Please. Whoever thought that in the context of giving, Jesus would put that verse? What he's trying to say is the kingdom is important. What he's saying is he cares about you and he's going to take care of your needs. Wherever you are on that spectrum of, of, of needing a job and not knowing where finances are going to come from to a place where you're very comfortable and have everything you need, wherever you are on that spectrum, the same God cares about each of those needs. What he wants is your heart. It's about heart. And if you're tied up on the whole idea, the idea behind tithing and all is to bring your first fruits to him out of gratitude. It's a place to start. Really, it, some people look at it as a ceiling. Okay, if I do 10, then the 90 is mine. And he has, but, but if you're going to be that legalistic and tied up on the number, don't, careful with that. Someone asked me this week, well, do I tithe on the net or gross? You ever think about that? Pre-tax dollars? Well, what about the benefits? I mean, the cost of your health care. What about, what about your life insurance and your retirement? And didn't, didn't you already tithe on that? Do you tithe on it again when you start drawing it? I mean, I, I, here's what I want you to hear. <laughs> it's about your heart. It's not about that number. That's a good number. It's the beginning number. Jesus said to do it. I, I don't have a problem with that. It's funny, too, if you read Dave Ramsey, 
Anybody like him? Anybody not like him because he just hits a little too hard sometimes? I heard him the other day, and he was talking about tithing, and I thought, is this you, God? Because, you know, I've been planning this sermon for a long time. And uh, he said this. There's a quote. If you can't live off the 90, you've got other financial issues that need work anyway. <laughs> I thought, oh, ouch, ouch, ouch. He wants you to give and be a giver. And if it's an issue for you, he's working on changing your spirit. And if you tithe, do it out of love for God, not out of guilt. <clears throat> you ever think about this? Maybe God prospers you not to raise your standard of living, but to raise your standard of giving. What if, I'm going to ask you a question. This is going to sound weird, but what if a FedEx or UPS driver opened your package on the doorstep and then took it home. <laughs> that didn't work, right? It's not for him. It's just for him to deliver to you, right? <laughs> but what if God puts money in our hands? It doesn't mean it's just for us, but it's meant for us to give, to either be blessed or to be a blessing. Let me, let me read this to you. I want you to just hear this out. <clears throat> you know it's God's heart to save the world, right? So how do you think he's going to do that? Think about this. Suppose God wanted to reach the world with his message of forgiveness and grace and love. And he does. And suppose God decided to use people to reach the lost. And he does. Suppose God works in our system through people. And guess what? It costs money. And it does. Suppose he gave us money so that we could use it to reach the lost. And he does. So God literally trusts you with money to raise your standard. He actually has a plan, but you're part of the plan. I mean, there's no other way to do it. There's no other way for him to read. That's how he does it. So maybe you're saying, well, okay, okay, I, I think I get it. I think I, think I get it. <clears throat> if you were to ask me, um, how much to give? I could tell you a lot of things, I think. But it really comes down to the heart. Where's your heart in all that? Do you, I know you care about lost people. I know you care about this church. I know you care. You know what I would love to see? I would love to see just even 100% participation at any level. And I believe that what God is calling us to do is to, to find out where we are in that spectrum and what we can do. And it says he'll bless us. You know what it doesn't say? If you give a dollar, I'll give you 10 back. It says he'll bless us. There's verses that talk about blessing tenfold, but it, it never talks about dollars. You know, God blesses us in ways that aren't financial. You know, God does bless us in financial ways. I, I, we, we have talked forever, and we will, we will get this done. We've talked to people about you know, sharing their testimony about giving and how God has used them in that and blessed them financially when they, they couldn't see how it would work. We'll share those with you. That's real. But before any of that, it comes down to the heart. You know, we live in an electronic giving world, and uh, every time that offering bag passes by and I don't put anything in, I'm thinking, I know we give online. I hope people know that. Isn't that stupid? It's stupid because I want to be someone who participates in what God is doing. And it's not like I just give at the office. I give 
because it's important. It matters. Let me have you shut your eyes for a second. I, uh, I don't know where you're at with all this, honestly. You know, the fact is, I would hate to offend anyone ever. But truth is, we're not the government. You got to want to give, and that's how it works. And I, we appreciate and we honor every gift you give. That's why when, you know, it comes around to our business meeting, we, we are very careful to show you where all that money was spent. But beyond that, I want you to be blessed, and I want you to have a heart for what God is doing. And I want you to tie every dollar to an internal investment. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I, I'm not going to ask you to raise a hand even. What I'm going to ask is for you just to ask God and talk to him for just a minute about where you're at with that. And I'm going to pray for you as we close this part of the service. And then Pastor Jeremy is going to come to close the rest of us. Father, we are, uh, we are grateful for everything that you give us. God, I can't, I'm just overwhelmed that you trust us to, to be the vehicle that you use to reach people. And I pray that you would help us to do the best we can with every dollar that comes in. God, I pray that you would guide every decision. And Father, we know that it's your heart to reach people. And we just want to do your heart. We want to be in the middle of what your heart is, is doing. Father, I pray for those in this room, as I mentioned, who are struggling, who need a job. I know, there's, I know of situations where that has just happened this week, and I pray, God, you would provide for them. pray you would provide for them. I, I pray for those in this room who are struggling to meet in, uh, make ends meet, and I pray, God, that you would help them to do that. Father, I pray, most importantly, that you would minister and speak to each of our hearts about what it is we should give. In Jesus' name, amen. Before Pastor Jeremy comes, um, I mentioned Dave Ramsey a minute ago and, and uh, his Financial Peace University. We did a class on that. I think it's been a year and a half, maybe two years ago. And when we start our classes up in January, we are going to do another session of that. I appreciate Joe is going to teach that again. He's so good at that. Uh, but for that to work, we need to buy the books ahead of time. So we're going to have a sign-up sheet in the lobby next week. And if you are interested or curious, like how does this work, I talked to him this morning. He's more than willing to answer any questions. Um, this is something he believes in. We have other people in this church who've done that system. It's a fantastic way to balance your finances. So again, we'll have that sign-up sheet um, next week. Pastor Jeremy.